Well, hey, we're on to a new series. We're into the second week in September. And so as we head into the fall, it's time to make sure that we don't stray off of our mission, which is reach up, rise up, reach out. This is our mission statement, our purpose statement, our vision statement. We want to reach up, connect with God, grow in our faith. That's rise up and then reach out, make a difference in this world. So we're going to do a new series that we're calling Lean In. So let's pray. We'll start our new series. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy scriptures. Father, thank you for your truth. Lord, help us to grab hold of something good today. Lord, I know you've got something good for each one of us, and you've got something different for each one of us. Lord, we, we're all in different places in life. We're fighting different battles. We have different obstacles in our way. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet us individually right now, right where we're at, and that you would show us something good from you, that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds, help us to see something, grab hold of it, and walk stronger with you. So, Lord, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just talk about our vision statement real quick. Reach up, rise up, reach out, reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. And rise up, a real relationship with the living God will change you and reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. So we as a church, Good Hope Church, we are dedicated to helping people connect with God grow in their faith, and make a difference in this world. That's our mission. That's what we're about. So we need to make sure that we focus on that, that we lean in to our mission, our purpose, our vision. So we want to connect with God, grow in our faith, and make a difference in this world. And we're calling this lean in because I think we all know what it's like to just kind of go through the motions. You know what I mean? Like, you're tired, you're stressed out, you just don't care anymore, but you're stuck doing something. And so you give a half-hearted effort at best. Uh, I think we've all been there. You know, uh, I think of school, work, family relationships, you know, our connection with God even, you know, sometimes we're just tired and we do a half-hearted effort at best. But we also know what it's like to be enthusiastic and excited and inspired, full of anticipation. That's when we lean in. I've had that happen at school. You might think that's amazing. I remember one time I wanted to learn calculus. I was so excited about it. I just stayed up all night doing my calculus homework. It wasn't even a test or anything. I was just like, ah, I'm going to learn calculus. It's going to be fantastic. You know, I was leaning in to learning that, you know, at work, there are times where your job is fulfilling and exciting. You feel like you're doing something important, family things, you know, just you want to love your wife. And so you do special things, you lean in and there's times where you lean in in your relationship with God. So let's lean in to knowing God to growing in our faith and making a difference in this world. And I just want to throw in a little wisdom here as we go. Don't say yes to everything, but prioritize. Something that's very important in life is to prioritize. I think one lesson that we learned with COVID was that we were, a lot of us, just too busy doing too many things, running too hard, and we needed to slow down a little bit. And if we want to be successful in slowing down our lives for the long term, 
then that means that we need to only do the most important things. We need to prioritize our lives because life balance doesn't come by just disengaging from life. It comes with engaging in life strategically by intentionally prioritizing the most important things. So what might be a person of faith's uh, highest priority? If we are going to prioritize what we need to be about as believers in Jesus, as people of faith, who those who revere and honor and love God, what is the most important thing? Well, let's go to Mark chapter 12, and we can get a picture of this from the greatest commandment. Someone asked Jesus a very important question, and he answered it. So let's see here. Mark 12, we'll read 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the highest priority is to love God and then love your neighbor. And all the other stuff in Christianity is built on those two things. What if, now a little tongue in cheek here, don't get mad at me yet. Let me finish my sentence. What if this was actually true? What if the most important thing in our lives was actually to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. What if it was actually true? Well, it is actually true. This is the most important thing. Let's not treat this like a cute little religious idea that we ignore. Yeah, I love God. Okay, yep, I know the answer to that. Let me go spend all of my life doing something else. We can't do that. How are you doing with loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What percentage of your heart are you giving towards loving God? What percentage of your time are you giving to loving God, of your strengths, of your mind? Are you actually prioritizing loving God? And then after that, loving your neighbor. How are you doing? That's why we want to lean in to our relationship with God. We want to lean in to knowing God, to loving God. We want to lean in to reaching up, having a real relationship with the living God. So how do we lean in to our relationship with God? Today, we're going to talk about two things. That's it. Two things. How do we lean in? I'll give you two steps. Step number one, get to know God. It's an important part of loving God, knowing God. Get to know God, then let God get to know you. Those are the two steps. Get to know God, let God get to know you. This is how we can learn to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So get to know God. How do we get to know God? Let me give you six words, six descriptions of God, because you know God is very, very complex. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we see uh, a very complex God that we serve. And let me give you six descriptions, six words to describe God, and we'll look at those six and learn to know God through those. So we know God as the Creator, then God as Lord, then God as Judge, then God as Savior, God as Advocate, 
and God as friend. So let's get to know God, the creator, our Lord, the judge, our savior, advocate, and friend. How do all of these describe one eternal being? God as your creator and Lord. Let's go to the very beginning, Genesis chapter one. Let me read verses one through three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the creation continues on. God is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of the world and he's the creator of you and me. We are here as part of God's creation and we live inside of God's creation. When we get to know God, we need to get to know him as creator God, as the one who made the universe, the earth, and you and me, God as creator. And then we need to get to know God as Lord. So let's go to Psalm chapter eight. We're just gonna read verse one. Psalm eight, verse one starts off in a very interesting way. Look at this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. So here we see a reference to creation. This is a Psalm of David and he is just praising God. And Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Now it says, Lord, our Lord. And you notice those two words look a little bit different. The first one, Lord, L-O-R-D, is four capitals in a row. Our Lord, capital L, small O-R-D. Four capitals or just one capital? What is going on with this? Well, whenever you see four capitals in the Bible, then that's Lord, that is God the Father, that is Jehovah. It'll say Yahweh, Jehovah in the ancient Hebrew there in verse one, the first word, but then our Lord is a different word. And that's the, the word for master or sovereign or king. It, it means ruler, the one who uh, has the say, who's in charge. So here, it you know, if you want to translate that a little bit differently, it could be Jehovah, our master. How majestic is your name in all the earth. So getting to know God as Lord, and what I mean is Lord as master, the one who's in charge, the authority, the higher power, the, the God of the universe who has authority over all. God, our master. Hence what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 46. Jesus here, he's talking to people and he's very confused as to why they're behaving the way they are. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says, what are you doing calling me master, calling me authority, and you, you won't do what I tell you? Why would you call me your master and then you just don't pay attention to what I'm saying? So this is something that, is inherent in the word Lord. It's not a title uh, in just that basic sense, but it indicates authority over me. If the Lord is my Lord, then he is the authority over my life. So we have God as creator and God as master, as authority over us. 
So we get to know God as creator and Lord. Now let's talk about judge and savior. And I want to spend a little extra time on this one. God as judge and savior. Let's talk about uh, the wrath of God. So if God is the judge, that leads to the wrath of God. And then God is our savior. That talks about the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God. So we have wrath and we have mercy. We have God as judge and then we have God as savior. So the wrath of God is clear in the scriptures, you know, from Noah's flood to the the exile of the Israelites to hell itself. I mean, the wrath of God is very clear. We're not immune to the wrath of God. Let me go to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says something very interesting here. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble or sin, you know, bad things, evil things. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves, it says at the beginning of the next verse. So this is, this is the wrath of God. I mean, this is strong. This is significant stuff. We are not immune to the wrath of God. It's something we don't talk about in church a whole lot, uh, but God's wrath is clear in the scriptures and God's love is also clear. You know, from Adam naming the animals, if you read the account uh, in Genesis, you know, God brings the animals to Adam and lets them name them. And it's just, it's just a beautiful picture. You know, we see that God's love is clear with the woman caught in adultery in the New Testament. Jesus offers forgiveness. God's love is clear with the cross itself. And we are not immune or free from the love of God. God loves us. And let's just go to John 3.16, you know, an essential, beautiful verse, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we're not immune to the love of God. Then I want to look at uh, 2 Peter 3. This is, I think, an important section of scripture here. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, it says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what is this talking about? Uh, What is this day is like a thousand years? Well, they were expecting the second coming of Jesus to happen anytime. They were like, this is taking a long time. It it took longer than they thought back when the New Testament was being written. They're like, where's the second coming? When is Jesus going to come and rescue us? This doesn't make any sense. And then Peter here is like, hey, this isn't slow. Like you understand slowness, you know? For the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. But God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this is a beautiful picture of the love of God. And I don't know that this holds up theologically, but this is how I picture it. I picture Jesus going to the father and saying, hey, is it today? You want me to go down and, uh, you know, let's, let's have the last trumpet. Let's make this happen today. And God looks down at the earth and like, yeah, but what about John? What about Lisa? Let's give them a little more time. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. That's how I picture it. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's giving us as much time as possible to to receive him. And this is due to the love of God. So we've got the wrath of God, which is profound. 
And we've got the love of God. How do we reconcile the wrath of God and the love of God? How do we reconcile God as judge and God as the one who saves, the savior, the rescuer? How do we reconcile God as judge and savior? Well, the wrath of God and the love of God are really two sides of the same coin. It's surprising, but they're really interrelated. Let me try to explain that. And this is the coin, that life, that the lives God has given us are sacred things given by God, that human life, your life is a sacred thing given by God. Their life is a sacred thing given by God, whoever they are, the one who uh, has rejected God, the one who loves God, all that life is given by God in the image of God, something sacred to God. And each one of us created in the image of God, creative, intelligent with a free will, so we can kind of go this way or that, We are valued and loved by God, and that means we are defended by God. We are given justice by God, and this is the wrath of God, that he will defend those that he loves. He will give justice to those he loves. So everyone who has hurt you, who has sinned against you, has sinned against a sacred child of God, and they will face the wrath of God. But everyone that you have hurt, that you have sinned against, is a sacred child of God made in the image of God that God will defend, that God's wrath will come on those who have hurt them and that puts us in a bad spot. So we kind of have a paradox of the millstone that we read about in Luke 17. You know, he says, you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you'd be better off having a millstone tied around your neck. You know, think about one of the anchors on those big Laker ships. You know, like this is a, a huge rock tied around your neck, thrown into the depths of the sea. What's the paradox of the millstone? Well, God will defend the child. You cause him to stumble, God's wrath will come upon you. But the offender is a sacred creation of God as well. So does justice come from the millstone? It doesn't take long to realize we are both victim and offender. You know what I mean? Like you and me. We have both suffered from the sins of others and we have committed sins ourselves. We are both victims and we are offenders. It's just a reality. We are victims and we are guilty. We all have some of each. So now what? Well, the wrath of God and the love of God come into conflict, but they are resolved at the cross. The wrath of God and the love of God. Because of the love of God for us all, Jesus satisfies the wrath of God against us all by taking the punishment for us all at the cross. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus pays that wage. The debt must be paid for justice to be done, but Jesus paid it for us because of his love for us. Don't underestimate what Jesus has done on the cross. Don't underestimate the price Jesus has paid. The wrath of God is severe. We need to understand God as judge. He does not put up with evil. He destroys evil. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus paid that for us. We call this redemption. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus paid it all. He redeemed us. He paid our price for us to set us free. We are redeemed. So we need to understand God as judge and savior. That's how we reconcile the wrath of God, the justice of God that brings wrath, versus the love of God, which brings redemption. This is God as judge and savior. And I got to tell you, it is nice when your savior 
is sitting on the judgment seat. When you go before the judge that is going to evaluate each one where we have no ability to hide anything, we have no capacity to cover anything up, but everything is laid bare and we look up at the judge who has all the power and it's our Savior. Oh, hallelujah. It's nice when your Savior is sitting in the judgment seat. So we've talked about God as creator, God as Lord or master, God as judge, and God as Savior. Now let's talk about God as advocate and friend. Let's go to the Gospel of John for these last two descriptions. The Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So there is an advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send that will teach all and remind us of things. So what does advocate mean? In the the older NIV, it was counselor. In the King James, it's comforter. And here it's translated advocate. What does this mean? It has a little bit of a sense of being legal counsel. In, uh, I think it's 1 John, this word is used also. He says, I write this to you so that you won't sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate who intercedes for us, Jesus, the Son of God. So this advocate who intercedes for us, he's like our defense counsel, you know, the one who who stands up for us. And this is the, the same word, advocate here, the Holy Spirit stands up for us. The Holy Spirit guides us, will teach us all things. We see this again Chapter 16, verse 13 here, still in the Gospel of John. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So our experience of God, our knowing God, is to include the idea of the Holy Spirit as an advocate, as a teacher, as a guide, as one who will bring us into the truth. We're not left as orphans. We're not left to just wander and figure it out. But God leads us by the Holy Spirit and by his word into his truth. So we need to understand God as advocate. And then an amazing thing in John chapter 15, Jesus talks to his apostles as friends. Let's read this section, John 15, 12 through 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls them friends. Can we have Jesus as our friend? Jesus was criticized in his day and called a friend of sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, our friend. What an incredible blessing. Let's see God as our advocate, our guide and teacher through the Holy Spirit and through Christ himself, our friend. Jesus, friend of sinners. So let's get to know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's get to know God, Creator, Lord, Judge, and Savior, Advocate, and Friend. This is God. And then let God get to know you. Anytime you have a relationship with someone, it's not just about knowing them. It's also about sharing who you are with them. And 
is so important to open ourselves up if we're going to have a meaningful relationship with a person, with your spouse, with any kind of deeper relationship. You have to open yourself up. You can't just be putting on a front and pretending, you know, that's not going to create that deep relationship. So with God, don't pretend Don't ignore God and and just go your whole life without talking to God. Don't just assume different things, but not actually have the conversation. I would say don't beg God. You know, don't, don't act like that with God. Don't try to manipulate God. Instead, honestly open up your heart. Then you can pray and you can worship and you can receive good things from God. Just honestly open up your heart to God. It's one of the big important things about leaning into a relationship with God is not just getting to know God, but letting God get to know you, sharing who you are with God. Now, there's a strange verse in Galatians. Galatians chapter four, verses eight and nine are just kind of a little bit weird, but I wanted to look at this and I'm not, I don't want to build some kind of big crazy theology off of this, but I remember reading this the first time and just kind of struck me. So let's look at this. Galatians 4, 8, and 9. Here, Paul is talking to the church in Galatia. They have gone from dead religion into a meaningful relationship with God, but now they're kind of slipping back into religion, if you know what I'm saying, into just going through religious motions rather than having a real relationship with God. And so he's calling them on it. And he says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? So he's saying, hey, you were were trapped in this meaningless thing. You came to know God, or rather God came to know you, and now you're going to fall back that way? Isn't that an interesting little qualification where Paul is like, you know, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, what? or rather are known by God. God knows everything. He knows us. He's omniscient, right? So he, he already knows. So what does this mean? But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, well, I don't have the, all the answers on that one, but here's what I want to grab from it. Anytime in a relationship, it's one thing to know the other person, but then we also need to open ourselves up. We need to be known by that person. And I think it's the same with God. We need to know God but we also need to open our hearts. We need to let him know us. We need to be known by God. We need to be someone who makes contact on a regular basis. We need to be somebody who is is there and present with God, known by God, not just off somewhere else. Again, let's not make some weird doctrine out of Galatians 4, 8, and 9, but hey, let God get to know you. Talk to him, tell him things that you don't tell anyone else. Go there with God kind of a nice phrase, you know, go there. Don't just hold back. You know, when you got a little bit more to say, but then you don't say it with God, you have a little bit more to say, go ahead and say it. Even if it's how disappointed you are in what you thought God was going to do, what you thought he was going to take care of, but didn't get taken care of, what you are suffering through that you didn't think you'd have to suffer through, go there, open your heart to God. Let's lean into our relationship with God. Let's get to know God as creator, Lord, judge, savior, advocate, and friend. And let's let God get to know us. Let's open our hearts, lay it out before the Lord. Let's finish this up. First things first, how do you start a relationship with God? Maybe I've been saying all this stuff and you're like, yeah, that sounds good. Don't know how to begin. 
Here's the deal. It's, it's not complicated. Let me help you. It basically starts with believing that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for you. You believe God is real, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, the sins of the world. You're part of that. Jesus specifically died on the cross to take your sins away, not just in this general sense, but this applies to you. So you believe. Step one, you believe. Step two is then you confess your sins to God. You go before God and you say, you know what? I think I have missed the mark on some of this. I want to know you. I've, I've not been walking with you. I want to get off of the track I'm on and onto the right track. And so Lord, help me. Please forgive me of my past, of my sins, of the hurts I've, I've done to others, the things I've done wrong. Please forgive me of that. Then after you confess, then you receive the forgiveness of God. This is very important. Don't just leave it there where you've confessed and then you walk away still feeling the guilt of it. You want to receive the forgiveness. Part of believing that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for you to be forgiven is for you to receive forgiveness. And now it's done. Now it's over. Now you let it go. You just let it be. You are forgiven and free. So you receive that and then you live a new life. You Now you walk with God from then on. You continue on with God. So you learn the ways of God. You live them out as best you can. You learn and grow over time. That's how you start a relationship with God. Believe, confess, receive, and then live a new life. So we're going to pray in a little bit, and I'm going to lead you through that. If you need to put your faith in Jesus, accept him as your master, as Lord, and then have him as your savior, and that's how you do it. Believe, confess, receive, live a new life. They used to call it the sinner's prayer. I don't know if there's a new thing to say that, but it's how you start a relationship with God. And then you continue to lean in. You lean in in worship. You lean in in prayer. You lean in in studying the word of God and letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. You lean into your relationship with God by serving him and bearing fruit for his kingdom. We just lean into that relationship as we continue through him. Old days, they called that abiding in the vine from the gospel of John chapter 15. It means to stay connected with Jesus, stay connected with God. This is what we need to do. So let's pray. And uh, again, if you've not intentionally, tangibly made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, now is your time. Give your life to Jesus. Know him as Lord and Savior, and you can have a new life with Christ. So let's pray. Let's grab hold of this. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you want a relationship with us. And so, Lord, help us to know you as our creator, as the creator of this world, the creator of eternity, the creator of heaven, the creator of us. And Lord, you are Lord. You are authority. You are, uh, you are the one that's in charge. You are the one with the power. So we call you Lord. We call you master, our master and judge. You are the one who judges. You are the one who makes right. Your wrath is strong. Lord, we understand about your wrath. We understand about hell. We understand that you will make things right. But thank you that you are also Savior God. You are the one who brings redemption and forgiveness. You are the one who frees us from the fear of your wrath. So Father, we thank you for that. Help us to receive you as advocate and friend and walk with you. 
If you need to make sure that you got that connection with God, then right now, just, just pray with me as I go through the sinner's prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe that what your son Jesus did on the cross and shedding his blood was enough for me to be forgiven. Please forgive me of my sins personally. Lord, forgive me. I want to live a new life and I receive that forgiveness. I receive that newness of life. I thank you, Lord, that my past no longer defines me, that I am no longer the person I was before who was guilty of those things, but now you have set me free. Help me to make amends the best I can, to right the wrongs the best I can. But Lord, also help me to know that in my spirit, in my soul, I am free and forgiven. And Lord, I pledge to live a new life with you. Help me to learn your ways and to live them out in this life. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.